I'm going to be reading Psalm 100. Make a joy, joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. There was a father and son who were walking along a mountain path, and it was an after-dinner walk, and uh, as they got along, uh, the, uh, the father got in a great mood, and so he started singing a song, and you know how dads sometimes tend to embarrass their kids, maybe more often than not. Uh, the son didn't care because there wasn't anybody around, but as they entered the last little turn and went down into the village where they lived, the father just kept belting out that song, and the son was kind of going, oh, dad, come on. But as they continued singing, uh, the dad continued singing down the path, and he walked right past the entrance to their house as he was still singing. And the son said, Dad, what are you doing? That This is our house right here. And the dad said, yeah, son, but my song is not finished yet. He said, if I have to stop now, it's going to be in the middle. There is a sense in which all of us are continuing a song that we sing along their life's journey. Sing on, ye joyful pilgrims, as we sang earlier this morning. Sing on, the time will not be long till in our Father's kingdom we swell a nobler song. As we walk here on earth and as we live here on earth, our lives consist in, well, continuing the song of praise that goes up to our Heavenly Father. And as we talk about our song and we talk about what God wants, we've got to talk about exalting Him. We've got to talk about talking about what it is that He likes. Did you ever consider why it is that God chose singing to be a part of His worship service? I know that the uh, class in the auditorium and the class in the back room are both studying more meaningful worship. And last week's lesson, this week's lesson especially, have been about the song service and about what it is that the song service offers and about what it is about the song service that exalts and lifts up God. But brothers and sisters, have you ever just asked the question, why did God choose these specific acts of worship to be a part of his plan? What is it about the way that he wants us to worship that is necessary, that he wanted singing above all other human activities to be a part of it? Because as you thumb through the pages of the New Testament, you start with Matthew, you go through Revelation, you will not find authority for man-made instruments of music within the worship service. You just won't. It's nowhere to be found, but what you will find is Christians gathering together, lifting up their voices in praise and lifting up their voices in devotion. Why did God want that to be a part of his worship? We've got, if you've noticed there on your sermon outline sheet, 12 points. And this was not by, well, this was by accident, honestly, but somebody asked me, why are you, why are you preaching 12 points? And I said, because uh, I've been sitting with the Romeos all week and talking about the deer that they're going to get as soon as, uh, as uh, deer season starts, and I want to get as many points in as, as David Beard wants on that buck that he's been watching all season, all right? So here you are, 12 points, about 10 minutes a point that uh, y'all do the math on that. You ready? 
Point number one, it's about exalting God. Why did God choose singing? It's because what he wants to exalt him. You look at a passage like Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, and it says, by him we continually offer the sacrifice of praise to our God. Offer the sacrifice of praise. When we would come in as, a, as Hebrew people, as, as Jews would come into the worship of the tabernacle uh, years ago, they would bring a sacrifice with them. When we come into worship and we want to bring God the things that He likes, we have to ask, what is it that He likes? What is it that He wants? I can't bring my own presumptuous attitude with regard to what God is going to accept. I've got to look and say, this is what He's commanded me. Brothers and sisters, do you ever think about singing being an act of faith? Every time we open up our voices and we open up our mouths to sing to God, we're doing so because that's exactly what Scripture tells us that He wants. And as I follow what Scripture says, by faith, uh, by faith we, we do the things that we're authorized to do. When I open up my mouth and I let out those songs, I'm doing that based upon God's Word. It's what He wants. It's exalting to Him. Why did God choose singing? It is because there is a learning process to it. There's a learning to the songs that we sing and learning things like the language of the church. Sometimes we get accused of speaking churchies, official language. I have a burden for all those who are not washed and sanctified in the blood of the Lamb. And you have somebody that doesn't know God, they don't know the language, and they come in and they hear us use words like those things. Oh, thou fount of every blessing. When was the last time somebody talks about blessings out in the world? Tune my heart to sing thy grace. How often do people talk about grace? Streams of mercy. How often do we talk about mercy? Never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore thee. May I still thy goodness prove. When you talk about the words that we use, sometimes it is, it's just about learning a language. On the car CD player that we have out here, I've got a, a USB plugged in with songs that my kids are listening to that are trying to teach them things. They've got one about geography facts. They've got one about uh, uh, multiplication facts. And put those things to song, and you know what it's like? It's like miracle go for your brain. Why is it that we have to sing songs week after week like redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Because we're tendency, our tendency is to forget, and sometimes we forget the words that are most important to our faith. Our songs, the songs we sing like the ones we've sung this morning, help to reinforce that knowledge and that growth aspect of what it is that we need to do about having the mind of Christ. Now, scholars tell us that passages like what you see before you in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, let this mind be in you, which was also Christ Jesus, who uh, didn't consider, who being in the form of God, didn't consider robbery to be equal with God. A lot of scholars believe that that was a, a, a song of the early church, that they were gathered together and they might sing a passage like uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, or 1 Timothy 3, 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh and justified in the spirit and moving along and they would sing those things as reinforcements, as an understanding that there was a language that they were singing. Why did God choose singing? What's a spiritual benefit of singing? How about expression? 
the relationship of knowledge and emotions. Interesting, because you go to a passage like Romans chapter 11, and Romans chapter 11 is the conclusion of everything that Paul has made as far as his argument goes from Romans chapter 1 all the way to Romans chapter 11. That's the doctrinal basis for all of the application that he's going to give in chapter 12 through 16. So he talks about all these doctrinal things about justification and about knowledge and about law and all these great words that we use in talking about how Christ did what he did, why God accepted his sacrifice. And what's interesting is before he goes into the practical section of verses 12, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the ring of the mind, Romans 12 verse 2, he's going to finish up with a praise of God. Because there's a knowledge that Paul has. But that knowledge is not divorced from his emotions. And as he, by inspiration, writes Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, he exalts God and he praises God for his greatness and about how his ways are past finding out. Brothers and sisters, I can go out on any given day and I can say, grace has saved me. Yep, that's true. Absolutely. Amen. I can go out on any given day and say, I am a forgiven person. I've done a lot of horrible things in my past, and I'm thankful to God for his grace and for his forgiveness in my life. Yes, amen. I, I, I fully believe that. I can know those things on an intellectual level. But how much more so? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You have an opportunity to take the knowledge, the intellectual truth of what God's word is and translate it into thankful praise and words of edification for one another in our song service. You have the ability to do that based upon somebody setting something to poetry, some biblical truth, and then offering that using their words and their thoughts and their melody. Why did God choose singing? Because it's about expression. God doesn't want us to be like we're reading stereo instructions when we sing to him, completely divorced from all emotion. Why did God choose singing? It's about teaching. It's about teaching. There's a link of knowledge and appreciation. A lot of the, well, they call them camp songs, which, you know, are, are now 40, 50 years old. Some that we grew up singing at camp. To instill biblical truth and to help our minds to grasp those concepts. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The famous passage from Matthew 6, verse 33. A great song that we sing that's word for word. There's no rhymes in that. There's no fancy uh, lyrics or anything. It's just that, uh, that verse of Scripture set to music. And it's something that helps us to appreciate it more. And to call that thing back to memory whenever it is that we have those days when we are scatterbrained. That's most days for me. But you understand that we have those days that are just calling us and pulling us in one oh, every direction. What's my mission as a Christian? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And those songs have a tendency to remind us of what it is that we, we ought to do. There's no 
wonder why James then, in James chapter 5, verse 13, as he finishes his letter, says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone among you is, is glad or is, is rejoicing, let him sing psalms. Sing praises to God when you're in your up times. Pray to God when you're in your down times. Very, very practical knowledge and wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, uh, Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. How do you do that? Singing, making melody in your heart. Singing helps the word dwell in our hearts and helps us to appreciate who God is. Why did God choose singing? It's about edifying. It's about connecting us to one another. There's a connection to fellow Christians that happens in our worship service, or there ought to be. Stir one another up to love and good works. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. How do I do that? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much so more so as you see the day approaching. Interestingly enough, we take Hebrews 10.25 and we use it only in the context of not missing worship. We don't want to miss worship because we're going to make God angry or we're not going to be pleasing to Him. We're not going to do the things that He wants us to do. When in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, in that context, there's an edification process that happens when we come together and when we gather together and when we see one another and embrace one another and say, continue going. Because we're also teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're also singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. We're wanting to encourage and to teach. And there's an edifying process, a connecting bond. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. People that I would have never known in this life, most likely, are gathered together and tied by the blood of Jesus because of what He's done for us. You might have lived hundred years in Rosenberg, and never encountered any of the people that are in this room. But brothers and sisters, based upon the blood of Jesus and what the great things God has done for us, we're tied together. We're knit together in this body, Ephesians chapter 4. We're put together and, and, and joined together. And we have an opportunity. You use your voice. I use my voice. Y'all use your voices. And we sing about the greatness of the God we serve to the edification, to the building up of one another. Why did God choose singing? Because there's an edifying, a nourishing aspect to that. That's point number next. It's a reminder of our hope. It's a reminder of our hope. Where do you turn when your heart gets overwhelmed? Where do you turn whenever it is that you get that diagnosis from the doctor that you weren't expecting? Where is it that you turn whenever it is that the bottom drops out of your life? Sometimes it is that I start thinking about my family and I start thinking about my own mortality and I get a little overwhelmed, to be honest. You know what helps me in those times? Just a few more days to be filled with praise and to tell the old, old story. Then when twilight falls and my Savior calls, I shall go to Him in glory. I'll exchange my cross for a starry crown where the gates swing outward never. At His feet I'll lay every burden down and with Jesus reign forever. Sing to me of heaven, tenderly and low, till the shadows o'er me rise and swiftly go. In a fairer region among the angel throng, 
We are happy as they sing that old sweet song, Sing to Me of Heaven. Brothers and sisters, the common hope that binds us is that we're not looking for the best to be here and now in this life, but our best and our hope and our greatest blessings are still yet to be as Christians. There's a nourishing aspect to it and a reminding of our hope. But I also want you to think about this one before we jump into the application. There is a blessing aspect to the singing of the New Testament church. It shows the Savior's grace in the church. Take a look just for a moment at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 was written to a particular church in a particular time. It's got a primary application in the use of spiritual gifts. You see, as the church foundationally was getting started, what was happening was the apostles would come and they would lay hands on certain people, and those people would be endowed by the Holy Spirit with the ability to, uh, to uh, prophesy, that is to teach in a meaningful way. There would be some that would be prophesy or be able to speak with other languages that, that they hadn't studied. Uh, for me, I haven't studied Italian or French or, or German or any of those things. I might be able to speak those languages in that early church. But as it is that sometimes people mess up what God has given, Paul has to write to them in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 about their use of the spiritual gifts. And in fact, there were some that were envying others, and there were some that were maybe being envious. And as they were looking down on one another, perhaps based upon the, the greatness of what they uh, seemed as, as spiritual gifts, it seemed like those who had the gift of speaking in tongues looked down on everybody else. And so as they're looking down on people, they're... Uh, Paul is saying, no, 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 the attitude with which you ought to be using these things, the attitude by which you do everything is chapter 13 in the heart of this discussion. And that is the love that trumps all other spiritual gifts, those things that are temporary and passing away, as he would say, verses 8 and following. But you do these things with love. But he says something curious towards the end of this discussion. And as he ends this discussion, he says, I would rather prophesy. I would rather have God's word brought out in a meaningful way so that it is that people can know what God wants them to do. I would rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue, Paul says. But as he goes on in verses 24 and 25, he says, I want you to know that when the lost come among you, because they understand something about the message that's being spoken, they understand that the secrets of their heart are being revealed, that they can truly glorify God, and they can look out among you and say, God is truly among these people. Brothers and sisters, have you ever thought about the blessing aspect of God's people singing in unison, lifting up our songs of praise to God, and having somebody leave out of here who hadn't had ever had any contact with the Lord's church and going, wow, those people are really exalting God. I recognize there is a spirit here that's different than every other church that I've ever visited. I understand that there's a necessary aspect to the way that they're lifting up those songs that's different. God is truly among those people. You ever thought about your song service, your personal individual song service, being able to do that? I recall having a lady friend and bringing her with me to worship years ago. And as, uh, as, of course, we weren't married or anything, but I said, hey, why don't you come on to church with us? And so we went in, and I knew the singing was going to be amazing. And as we sat down, as all those Christians lifted up their voices together, she said, where's the piano? I said, we don't have a piano. And she said, well, where's the organ? I said, we don't have an organ. She said, you mean all those people 
All those people are singing like that. And she sat there stunned the entire time, amazed that the human voice could exalt something as beautiful and as lofty as the God who is great and greatly to be praised. What if it was the joy that you expressed in your song service this morning was the only thing that a non-Christian ever heard with regard to the message of Christ or the way that somebody who is Christ expressed it? What if that was it? Would you suppose that somebody would want to be converted to New Testament Christianity based upon the joy or lack thereof that you showed this morning in your song service? That's a sobering question. But it's also a question, brothers and sisters, that says, if God is so great, if God is so wonderful, if I truly appreciate what God has done for me, doesn't it call for songs of loudest praise like we just sang? Doesn't it call for me so much more to lift up God in the song service than to lift up the Astros and however great or however not great they're doing? Or college football or whatever it is that you, 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 you love. And those things, we talk so loudly about them. And we lift them up and we say, oh yeah, aren't they having a great season? Isn't it wonderful to do that? Oh, thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing that. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. A couple of applications for you and then we'll finish up. Number one, what is it about singing? I want you to realize, brothers and sisters, God created it in the New Testament church as being personal worship. This is a simple application, but you and I must sing. You use your voice, and I'll use my voice. I mentioned the book of Romans and talking about the justification that comes through Christ. But one of the fundamental problems he's dealing with in Romans is Jew Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians not necessarily getting along. But as he concludes this book, what he does is he shows there in Romans 15 a beautiful picture of both Jews and Gentiles sitting together in one assembly. And you know what they're doing in that context? They're lifting up praise together to God. They're saying, what a wonderful God that we serve that's put us all together here into one body. We're going to sing out his praise. And you and I must offer that. We must offer that, as Jesus said in John 4, 24, in spirit and in truth. More on that in just a moment. But we sing to him. We exalt him. It's been true. Somebody might say, well, Andy, you don't know me. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. You know what? God doesn't want you to carry it in a bucket. He wants you to carry it with your voice and with your heart. Make a joyful noise and sometimes that may be all that it is but you know what if it's joyful and it's to our heavenly father it's going to be encouraging to other people your voice the one that god has specifically given you an amazing feat of engineering that no man could have ever come up with god gave you that voice and he wants to hear from your heart and from your voice what it is that he means or what it is that uh, that he means to you can he do it do you sing if not, why not? Number two, it's personal, but it's also, as we mentioned, reciprocal. Reciprocal. It's to you, I sing to you, and you sing to me. I've often said that I think that our singing would be a whole lot better if we could restructure our auditoriums <laughs> to where it would be that you wouldn't be sitting there facing necessarily the back of somebody's head. I don't know how you'd do it. But again, just a, just a thought, if you could look into the eyes of another Christian and see 
a brother or sister that so badly hears, needs to hear the message. Have thine affections been nailed to the cross? Is thy heart right with God? Does thou count all things for Jesus but loss? Is thy heart right with God? Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Singing to one another. Brothers and sisters, it's not just me singing to God, but it's me singing to you and you singing to me. It's all of us doing these things. And that's the force of Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, those two passages that we go to to talk about why it is that we don't use musical instruments of worship in a worship service. But those two passages, we can't neglect the fact that there's you singing to me and me singing to you. We do that for one another. And we can't neglect that aspect of it. I've got to sing to you, and you've got to sing to me of heaven, of redemption, of salvation, of Jesus, of all those things that we sing about and we have sung about this morning, thanks to Roger and, and leading those things. It is emotional. It is emotional. Colossians 3.16, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Redemptive grace, yes, but thankful grace, yes, absolutely. Singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. When you sing with grace, what does it sound like? <laughs> if I talk to my wife with thankfulness, honey, I love you. You mean so much to me. I'm so glad that you're in my life. I'm so glad for the wonderful helper that you are for me. You're so valuable to our family. I can say it in a way that she understands that I'm sincere. Honey, I'm so glad that I'm in your that you're in my life. I'm so glad that you you said yes. I'm so glad that everything that you do is for the good of our family. You understand the difference. Brothers and sisters, you can get on the phone with AT&T customer service and you can know based upon the tone of that person's voice and the way that it is that they're helping you whether or not they're really glad to be helping you, right? Can I tell you something? We can be reverent towards God, and yet we can still be emotional as people, as his servants. I heard a preacher say this years ago, and it's absolutely true. Brothers and sisters, reverence is not rigor mortis. Reverence is not rigor mortis. It's not death warmed over. It's letting God know from a heart that he means so much to us. It's okay to smile in a song. It's okay to cry in a song. It's okay to let your heart be moved by the lyrics of the song. We're not necessarily poetic people so much anymore. When was the last time you picked up a book of poetry and just read it just for fun? Don't do that. But when you look at the songs, when you look at the songs and the words that we're singing, there's depth to them. There's emotion to them. There's power to them. If we will just let ourselves look at the words, think about the words, and move along, with the song. We may have a lesson specifically on that sometime in the future, Lord willing. We've got to understand it's emotional, but it's also doctrinal. It's doctrinal. As much as Jesus said, God is spirit, those who worship me must worship him in spirit, that is emotion, that is attitude, and truth, he's talking about doctrine. There are some songs that we would do well to really think about why it is that we're singing them. There are some songs that we would really do well to look at the lyrics of them and say, now is this really true, biblically speaking? 
I understand there is a, uh, a, a need for poetic license. But when I can't look at this song and bring into harmony what this song is saying with what the Bible is teaching, I'd better think twice about singing that song. There's a lot that's coming over from uh, songwriters in the denominational world where they're bringing in songs and ideas and people are trying to import those things a cappella into the church and they're trying to look at those things and say, well, I guess, but doesn't the song sound good? Doesn't the song, doesn't it just give the chills and, and make the, the, the little hairs on the back of your neck stand up? Doesn't it do that for you? So in essence, what they're doing is they're sacrificing sound doctrine for Sound doctrine. Sounds good to me. I don't care that it doesn't necessarily teach biblical truth. That is a dangerous road to go down. And with everything that we speak, well, 1 Peter 4, verse 13 says, if any man speaks, 1 Peter 4, 11, if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. We don't do this text any disservice if we say, if any man sings, let him sing as the oracles of God. We've got to think about the doctrinal truth about what it is that we're singing every single time. It's doctrinal. It's also mental. Here's where I believe that we fail a whole lot of the time. It's mental. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15, that same context. Paul said, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and with the understanding. Whether it means spirit in a uh, spiritual context and something that they only had in the first century, again, let context decide that and look at that uh, generically. But when he says, I will sing with the spirit at attitude, we can get that. And with the understanding. I take a song sometimes, again, just talking about me. And I look at a song like Sing to Me of Heaven. You know how long I've been singing Sing to Me of Heaven? About 42 years. I've heard it all the way since I was a young boy. And as I was sitting there and that young, that young boy, and uh, I would think about, you know, how, what a pretty song it is. I may still come along years later on September 29th, 2019, and still think about Sing to Me of Heaven and what a pretty song it is. And because I've sung it for years, what I have a tendency to do is shift my brain into neutral and be able to go through the motions without really connecting with the words. That's a temptation for all of us is to really just sing the words and never really think about what it is that we're singing about. It's mental. Every single time I've got to re-engage my brain. And I've got to talk about singing to me of heaven. Sing to me of heaven. I want you to sing to me of heaven, church. And I hope it is the prayer of your heart is that you want the rest of us to sing to you of heaven. Words of comfort, words of peace, words of hope, words of joy. And as we sing those things together, as God is lifted up and glorified, you know what's going to happen? As all of us are singing, with our minds, with our emotions, with our bodies engaged, lifting up to what God so richly deserves, we're going to leave out of here, out of this service, going, wow, wasn't that a powerful song service? Didn't that just make you want to go to heaven? Isn't that just a glimpse of what it's going to be like when we all get to heaven? Because we're never closer to heaven and what we're going to be doing in heaven than when we're sitting in the worship service with God's people surrounded here, lifting up praises to God our Father. That's what we're going to be doing. 
And the two books of the Bible that use worship more than any other, one of them is Psalms. You can probably guess that one, but the other one is Revelation. And you know what you find time and time again around the throne of God? You found his people bowing down, casting down their golden crowns as we sing in holy, 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 and singing. How in the world can we ever enjoy heaven if we never learn to enjoy the song service now? Keep your minds engaged. Keep your hearts engaged. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. The song is, I am resolved. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. And yet I wonder if there might be some people that are already singing their own invitation song. We have the testimony of Jesus. We have the gospel. And people here this morning who I know need to be obedient to the gospel, who need to look at Jesus and his sacrifice and say, I want that more than anything. I need the forgiveness of sins more than anything. I need his redeeming blood to wash me clean from everything that I've done, as Steve prayed about this morning, and that redemptive hope that we have, and that forgiveness that we have in his blood and in him alone. I know that I need to, uh, to, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I know I need to repent of my sins. I know I need to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins because that's what the Bible teaches me. But as we sing, I am resolved. Maybe somebody else is going to be already singing, I shall not be moved. I know the truth of the gospel, but I'm not going to take that step. Maybe somebody this morning is singing farther along. I'll obey one day. I'll get around to it. They take the, uh, the governor approach. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. What God wants more than anything else is for all of us to say, I see the truth of Jesus. I see the message that he preached, and I want to submit my life to him. I am resolved. I will hasten, hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. Will you come to him now as we stand and sing our invitation song?